Welcome to 3D BPM Sports Podcast. This is where we discuss the latest and most advanced, fascinating, powerful, and disruptive additive manufacturing technologies with the people that make them happen. I am your host, David Scher, CEO and co-founder of 3D BPM, the leading media, marketing, and market research firm for the ever-changing world of AM. So hello everyone and uh, welcome to a new episode of the 3D BPM Pulse podcast. For those who don't know 3D BPM, we are a global media marketing and market research company specializing in researching all that is additive manufacturing around the world and beyond. In fact, additive manufacturing has a special place in the space beyond our own planet. It has emerged as a clear enabling technology for an entire new generation of commercial companies targeting orbit, deep space, the moon, and Mars. That's why I could not be any happier to welcome today's guest, Tim Berry, head of manufacturing at Launcher. Launcher is one of the clearest examples of the amazing results that a space startup can achieve by using AM to bring its innovative ideas to life. Tim is bringing his extensive experience as a former head of AM at SpaceX, a company that in many ways showed the world that commercial space was possible, and did so by heavily implementing AM for engine development and manufacturing early on. Tim's experience merges rapid, low-cost aerospace production with innovative, high-volume metal 3D printing, launch vehicle production, and crew-rated spacecraft integration during his eight-plus-year career at SpaceX. His CV speaks for itself. From 2013 to 2019, as Falcon 9 Stage 2 lead, he led a multidisciplinary team performing a wide array of production processes, from structures to final integration to manufacture, nine the upper stages that supported Falcon 9 missions, while significantly improving quality and exit rate. From 2019 to 2021, as Dragon 2 crew and cargo integration supervisor, he managed a large team of leads, engineers, and technicians responsible for building the integration system that produced eight Dragon crew and cargo spacecraft during his tenure. Finally, as manager of additive manufacturing, he oversaw all production and development additive manufacturing, including application process and operations. Um, operations engineering as well as technician and scheduling teams. Here he managed a massive fleet of printers spanning four platforms producing hardware for all SpaceX programs and forming one of the highest volume AM labs in the world. Now Tim is starting a new era at Launcher for himself as the head of manufacturing and for the company which is already among the most successful in the next generation of AM driven space startups. Today, we get to ask him what comes next. So, hi, Tim, and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks very much for having me. Excited to be here. Fantastic. So, let's uh, first take a step back and ask you, you know, what, uh, you know, you, you come from, from SpaceX, now you're at Launcher. You, these are some of the coolest companies in the world of AM and space. How did you get there? What made you first, you know, want to get into the space industry? Sure, yeah. So. Uh, I've always had a passion for space uh, since I was a kid. I mean, um, every science fair that I could remember, I always did a project that was based around the solar system, astronomy, um, study of other planets, other worlds, things like that. Um, and my parents and I would always catch every single shuttle launch uh, <laughs> whenever they had them. So um, I've kind of caught the space bug uh, very early on in my life, and it was always very fascinating to me. 
Um, as I worked through my career, uh, I always dreamed of one day having a, a great career in aerospace or somewhere where I could work on either aircraft or especially rockets and spacecraft and things like that. Um, and I found uh, maybe the best place in the world to do that, which was uh, SpaceX. And, and I felt so, so blessed and, and very lucky to have uh, joined that company when I did, had the opportunity to go in and work on it. Um, I mean, every day through my entire eight year, eight plus year career there, um, I still geeked out about all the hardware I got to work on and the cool things that I got to see and, um, and all the great and very talented people that I got to work with. So uh, I definitely, since I was a kid, I've been very fascinated with space and then SpaceX kind of ignited the, the fire and, and it was where the rubber met the road for me uh, to be able to put that passion into a, into a career. That's uh, that's fantastic, and as as you know, uh, we are particularly interested in the at the in the intersection between space and uh, additive manufacturing. So, um, what what in your view are the are the reasons that make AM an ideal technology for manufacturing, you know, engines but other rocket parts as well? Yeah, so I always use the phrase um, that the printer doesn't care or know what it's printing, right? So. <laughs> Uh, the one of the key advantages of AM technology is that you don't have to invest in um, long lead time tooling or or a lot of extra uh, support equipment to be able to produce the parts. Uh, you can essentially make five different parts in five different prints sequentially. So I think the the first and foremost the value of AM uh, for aerospace is your ability to rapidly iterate um, to be able to change uh, products. Um, and uh, you know, upgrades and try things out and test things uh, very rapidly uh, compared to you know, something like investment casting where you're having to create new molds and, and, and pour into new molds and figure out the process and things like that. Um, additionally, instead of having to buy you know, 10 machines to make 10 different parts, you can effectively buy one machine to make 10 different parts. So I think that um, from like a, a CapEx perspective as well, it's, it's very beneficial for businesses to invest in AM platforms where they can produce many different types of hardware uh, with them. Additionally, um, I think this is something that's often overlooked. Like we, we always look at the density of complexity that you can get, right? Cramming a lot of very intricate structures and geometries into a small package. Sure. Um, we we overlook the, the obvious benefits, uh, which are preferential properties. So a lot of times versus casting, uh, printing properties, I think on average from what I've seen can be about 30% better from a strength and elongation perspective. Um, so I think there's, there's a number of factors, but, but mostly it's just being able to make very densely complex structures, rapidly iterate, um, and having the benefit of, of better material properties than some other traditional methods can provide. And, and to be honest, this brings up two points. Uh, one is, uh, you know, for example, especially in aviation, but I guess in general, you know, uh, additive parts require so much testing because they, it, it, it needs to be proven that the parts can perform like traditional parts. But from when those tests are, when those tests are carried out, it often takes a really long time. It turns out they actually have better properties than, than traditional parts. But, you know, we still have to go, of course, to this extensive testing. Do you think there is a way to accelerate that? Or do you think as we become more familiar with these parts, it will become more obvious that additive parts can actually have better properties than, um, than traditionally manufactured parts? Yeah, I think uh, additive and AM parts are still considered kind of nebulous to a lot of the world right. and, and a lot of traditional manufacturing companies. So 
um, it's kind of guilty. Additive parts are almost uh, guilty until proven innocent. Um, yeah, so exactly. That's the impression. Yeah, yeah. So no, no one thinks that the, the properties are going to be great. You know, it's, it's just such a, a kooky way to make things that are that's a departure from the norm. Uh, so people immediately suspect them. Um, I think right. things like uh, standardized specifications like NASA came out with their 6030 and 6033 um, to help take a lot of the guesswork out of how you can qualify things, particularly if it's going to be used on human rated missions and sure. crewed missions. Um, and those international standards are making it a lot easier for us uh, and, and all companies that use AM uh, to be able to qualify their hardware and kind of know what things they need to do to ensure that they have a good part. Um, overall, I think uh, process validation is going to be incredibly uh, important and uh, process monitoring as well. So um, in when you're starting to do mass production, right, uh, serial production of additive hardware, once you've iterated, you found the design that's optimal and you want to start cranking these things out. Um, doing uh, selective sampling and process validation and, and post inspections uh, sure. to validate the process instead of trying to accept each and every part is going to become more and more prevalent and important because you can't stop to validate every single part every single time. Um, and then as process monitoring technology matures, um, it's going to be even easier because not only are you not having to inspect every part every time because you validated that you have a good process and you, you locked down a build file and you haven't changed it, but the printer will actually tell you at the end of the print whether it had a successful print, if there's any anomalies or anything like that. So yeah. um, we've been very excited to see the the advancements that have been made in the process monitoring space. Um, there's some companies that are platform companies that are doing it, like uh, Velo3D with their Assure software. Um, I know there's some second party software uh, hardware software companies like Sigma Labs uh, that are looking into it. So I think like trying to get into more of an automotive manufacturing mindset in aerospace is is going to be incredibly important um, to keeping costs low, making it commercially viable and things like that, um, where in the auto industry, they do a lot of process sampling and process validation, but they're not necessarily inspecting each and having to inspect each and every single part to make sure it's good because they have a dependable and reliable process that they validated. Sure. So can additive bring the cost of, uh, you know, getting to orbit down significantly? Can it help? Like how, how, how much can it help? Yeah, I, I definitely believe that it can. I think um, like the biggest barrier to entry for people with additive is the capital cost of the printer up front, right? Um, but once you get over that hurdle and, and, you know, printers are getting more powerful, more lasers, more productivity sure. uh, without having an equal exponential growth in price. So I think that 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 decline of capital cost versus productivity is happening, which is great. Um, but AM absolutely can enable uh, lower cost space because again, you're not having to invest when you when you want to like aerospace to get a good product, right? You have to operate hardware rich, you have to be able to move fast, break things, try things, uh, have a quick feedback loop and get right back into the test stand or out into the test field, whatever you need to do. Um, so AM's ability to do that without having to invest in significant amounts of tooling or labor or retraining, anything like that, sure. um, will make it a lot easier to find the optimal solution and, and reduce a lot of the, the added cost that comes with trying to iterate with more traditional methods, um, which will ultimately make the products a lot cheaper as well. Uh, and additionally, uh, AM's ability to, especially some print platforms like our EOS M300, to be able to change between materials rapidly and, and do development also helps to save a lot of the labor that's typically associated with turning over another printer and changing materials or wow. anything like that. There's even some platforms where you can't even do that. So 
I, I think AM overall is, is just enabling, uh, you know, a consolidation of assets into a single asset that can produce many different parts and geometries and things like that. And ultimately, that'll help to reduce cost overall. That's great. And um, so we went a little bit off script, but let's get back to, to Launcher. What do you think sure. are the company's uh, greatest accomplishments so far? And uh, how do you think the company stands out among other uh, space startups? Yeah, so first and foremost, in terms of standing out, um, Launcher is immensely focused on performance. Um, a lot of uh, other competitors in this space uh, have focused on just minimal viable product, get to market as quick as possible, your engines, uh, performance doesn't matter that much. Uh, that's why some of our uh, other competitors have fallen very short of their original payload capacity goals uh, to orbit. Um, even though they are, and have also fallen behind uh, multiple years late um, because they really focused on just trying to get minimal viable product, get to market as fast as possible. You know, we'll figure out the engine stuff later and effectively have designed themselves into a corner and are now having to go back to the drawing board and redesign engine architecture from the ground up to actually be able to support a meaningful payload uh, as they had originally signed up for. Um, so I, I think High performance is what differentiates Launcher. Uh, originally, Max started the company with the goal of having uh, commercial launches, which we consider 10 plus launches every year to be commercial um, in within 10 years, um, and to have revenue within 10 years as well. Well, with our uh, orbiter spacecraft that we built, um, we actually are realizing revenue five years early. So um, that's been an amazing experience for us. Um, we're getting a lot of ex uh, a lot of experience under our belt with uh, integrating with our customers and and um, trying and trying different things with Orbiter, building it, being familiar with it. Because ultimately, Orbiter will be the third stage of our own rocket. So right. Max had a really ingenious strategy yeah. um, from the beginning, which was we started with wanting to build a, a small launch vehicle as a stepping stone to a larger launch vehicle, um, and uh, Orbiter would act as the third stage of our own launch vehicle. But then Max had, had a great idea to get us to revenue earlier, get some experience and things like that to fly Orbiter, which is the third stage of our launch vehicle on SpaceX Rideshare, um, which has been an amazing experience for us. We love working with SpaceX. We think Rideshare is such an amazing service that, yeah. service that they offer. I mean, the, the price per kilogram is is insanely lower than anything else you can get <laughs> with the dedicated one. So uh, building the TUD has, has been great for us. Um, uh, one key highlight of that is that uh, Orbiter was designed uh, from clean sheet, uh, designed and built from clean sheet uh, to an actual spacecraft that we just recently successfully put through vibe testing uh, in one year, which you don't ever see with, you know, in, in a lot of the legacy aerospace companies, but additionally, you don't see in companies that aren't leveraging AM. So I think that's why it's very important because we were able to rapidly iterate, produce hardware, varying geometries, not have to do a lot of upfront work um, for tooling and things like that. Yep. Uh, additionally, what makes Launcher stand out, um, we have uh, an immense knowledge base here of analysts, very experienced propulsion engineers uh, that have designed our E2 liquid rocket engine chamber. Uh, the chamber was the first that we're aware of um, fully monolithic 3D printed chamber that was printed on the M4K uh, printer made by AMCM. Yeah. Uh, Max, uh, I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit more uh, later, but Max was the original inspiration for that because we wanted to be able to produce uh, the chambers monolithic instead of some other companies that are doing it in multiple parts and you have to weld it and it's, sure. it's not as fast and things like that. Um, so we were the first ones to print our, cop our yeah. chamber monolithic 
Um, that chamber uh, from our testing has shown that it's the most uh, efficient high, or high performance uh, Keralox chamber, so kerosene liquid oxygen chamber ever okay. made in the United States, second only to the RD-180 in the world. Um, so it's it's really been interesting to see uh, like all the, the coming together of the cultures of our Ukrainian population um, and our American yeah. population and all the great ideas that have come out the high performance we've been able to realize on the chamber um, and uh, being able to reach revenue a lot, a lot sooner uh, than we had originally intended. Yeah, that's uh, that's really amazing. I mean, honestly, I remember when AMCM presented that part uh, as the tallest part, as the tallest monolithic part ever printed uh, by PBF, by laser PBF, but PBF in general, I remember that. Um, I, I honestly probably don't, didn't even realize it was a launcher part, or maybe I realized shortly thereafter, but I, I, I totally remember that. So I can imagine, you know, that was really, uh, you know, we cover everything and we know that was a world's first. So that was definitely a world's first. And it's great to hear that, you know, that that's not just, you know, just for the sake of it, it's actually to, to benefit in terms of uh, performance. So... My, my next question is if you can elaborate a little bit on, you, you mentioned the, the EOS uh, M300, you, you also have Velo 3D uh, and uh, the AMCM uh, uh, 4K, I think it's uh, called. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on what each, uh, each system, each technology is ideal, uh, why each technology is ideal for you? Yeah, absolutely. So starting with the M300, uh, touched on this a little bit earlier, but our ability to, it comes... Uh, it has multiple powder dispensers that you can very easily change between. So um, as we've been pathfinding new materials uh, for turbo pump applications, for uh, pre-burners, other parts like that, um, it's been very easy for us to try different materials and change them out uh, rapidly. Um, additionally, it's a very user-friendly uh, printer. So uh, the unpacking is very easy as it comes out the side. Uh, it's been able to save a lot of labor for us that would otherwise uh, be required for unpacking and things like that. Um, and overall, the capability of the printer is just, you know, in my time working with EOS over the years, uh, it's, it's the printers have just gotten better and better. They're definitely uh, a workhorse. So, yeah. um, you know, that the M300 is, has made it really easy for us to do dev and produce good components. And we do a lot of the, a lot of parts of our turbo machinery as well as um, a lot of bracketry and secondary structures and things like that uh, for Orbiter. Um, on the AMCM side, obviously, you know, they were, uh, you know, Max helped to motivate them and, and they made the M4K and that's what our chambers have been printed on thus far. Yeah. Um, our printer is supposed to arrive uh, next month, so we'll be able to do those in-house here. Oh, yeah, that was done by, uh, at their, I remember, at their facility. Yes, of course. Yeah, exactly. And we've racked up like multiple minutes worth of testing on, on a lot of those chambers, which yep. is kind of a lifetime in the in the rocket industry. Uh, but, you know, the, the ability to print a large format uh, up to one meter tall was what really enabled us to uh, produce our chamber monolithic like we wanted to. Uh, AMCM is, very, uh, is a very agile and innovative company, so it's been uh, really nice for us, you know, to have our, our workhorse M300 and then also get to work with the M4K, which is a very cutting-edge uh, new platform coming out. Yep. Um, and, you know, it's it's been flattering for us to see uh, some of our other uh, competitors in the space also uh, pursuing the same printer yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and trying to do the same thing and use use a copper chamber versus Inconel or another material or anything like that. So um, AMCM has, has been a, an amazing partner for us, um, very helpful along the way with developing our application. 
Um, and uh, it's we're looking forward to getting our hands on it and being able to do some some even cooler printing here, uh, potentially even making a completely monolithic chamber uh, to include the injector. So that's something that we've talked about before. Wow. Uh, and then on the Velo 3D side, um, like uh, I've uh, worked with Velo for many years. Um, they are an of extremely course. dedicated, cutting edge company. Um, they're obviously a newer player in the space. And I think they've really disrupted uh, the powder bed fusion space in, in such an amazing way. Um, you know, you see a lot of the other companies following suit with talking about support free uh, technology um, and and being able to, to reduce the amount of supports because one of the key things for Bello for me is that they've really enabled our design engineers um, a lot more freedom because you're not having to think like, I don't know if I could do this. It's, it's not going to print. Okay. I have to print it like sideways and kind of a funky way or <laughs> sure. cram it full of supports that then we have to figure out how to get out. Um, so I, I overall think that like design for additive manufacturing needs to become the thing of the past, right? Like design for manufacturing should always be a thing. You should always think about processes that are happening to the parts downstream, like, um, you know, printing as near net as possible and not having a lot of extra machine stock and things like that. But specifically designed for additive manufacturing, I think needs to become a thing in the past. Like you should just be able to pick the optimal design and not have to compromise it just to get it to print overall. And I really think that's what what Velo has, has pioneered. Um, also, the service level that we receive from Velo is just absolutely incredible. I think um, it's been nice for us to, uh, it's it's been a nice, uh, dichotomy to have some some European-based companies and some American-based companies and kind of, of see the differences between them and, and how they inter, uh, interact with us as customers and how they manage their service and things like that. Um, so honestly, we're, we are very lucky uh, to have the great partnerships that we have. I think EOS, AMCM, and Velo 3D all bring like very uh, unique capabilities that have, have bolstered our ability to rapidly iterate, um, try out new materials, uh, print really complex structures without having to do a lot of post-processing and things like that. So I think they all bring uh, a great piece of the pie that's really helped launch her to become the, the company that it is today. Yeah, and honestly, like these are these. You know, one thing is to hear it from the hardware manufacturer what the what the capabilities of the machines are, which is great. But a different thing is to hear it from somebody that that is an adopter. I think you know it really brings the point across. Uh, even better. Uh, I think it's uh, it's very beneficial also for the companies uh, you know that make the hardware themselves, you know, to really uh, convey you know that that this is not just talk to sell the machine. It's really how it works, and, and I yeah. think I think that's great. Um, yeah. The, also, I think like just one additional note on on Velo that I've noticed and, and has actually been very helpful for me uh, through my career is that. Um, they, their focus on on repeatability and, and what they call a golden print file, but being able to like take the same print and print it on any of their platforms in the world right. uh, makes it incredibly easy to leverage like a, a contract manufacturing network. Um, we don't do a ton of, of outsource printing. We, we really only do it if we need a little bit of overflow capacity, um, when especially when we have two major milestones coming up for both of our products. So um, the ability to just kind of plug in a file anywhere in the world and it comes out the same really opens up the ability to leverage a, a contract manufacturing uh, network without a lot of headaches of trying to get it to print on their platform as well. So um, I think this is something that all, uh, you know, major LPDF platform manufacturers uh, should strive for. And I know EOS and AMCM uh, are pushing for this as well, but uh, the ability to just kind of plug and play and not wonder like if, if something prints on your system, if it'll still print on another system 
is going to be very helpful, I think, for OEMs, but also for contract manufacturers as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you, you know, you talked about, uh, um, you know, contract manufacturers and networks. Uh, uh, but how do you, uh, you know, my question is, how do you envision uh, your facility in the future? I mean, will it be really that you will leverage, you know, external manufacturing? Or do you see like a launcher facility with hundreds of 3D printers? Uh, uh, and also even, you know, even uh, beyond that, do you see, you know, do you see 3D printing happening, you know, not more so than it's happening today directly in space? Can you expand a little bit on that concept maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So on the first point, um, you know, I Launcher is a is focused on being a vertically integrated company. Um, a lot of us have that in our blood uh, to control every aspect of the manufacturing and the costs and make sure that you're keeping costs low. Um, so I, I think uh, like, as as we get additional resources and, and and more platforms come online here, um, I think we'll we'll taper off our our usage of contract manufacturers. As I said before, I think it's it's very minimal. I mean, I maybe like a part or two every couple months, something like that. So so very minimal uh, at this current juncture, um, and I, I think that'll you know eventually taper off as well as we get get more platforms in. So our focus is being vertically integrated. Uh, we manufacture the vast majority of our. Uh, components, hardware, different things um, here in-house, uh, which has helped us to have some of the industry's best uh, costs for, for some of our parts, especially things like our separation system, uh, which is, you know, an order of magnitude cheaper than, than things that you could buy out in the market um, off the shelf. So uh, I think vertical integration is very important to controlling costs. So I think, um, you know, our our overall goal is to bring everything in-house and keep it in-house. I Definitely see over the next five years, probably increasing. Currently, we have three platforms uh, with another one on the way, the M4K. Uh, I definitely see us in the probably 10 to 15 machine uh, realm within the next five years. Uh, and those are just in terms of just powder bed fusion printers. Right. I think we'll also expand into other AM methods. Uh, of course. Uh, gas cold spray and, and blown powder DED are, are two that are very interesting to us. Uh, especially for cladding applications and building up freeform structures. So those are other technologies that we've been looking into and evaluating for some of the applications that we have, uh, along with our, our partners uh, at NASA. Yeah. Um, and then expanding the use of AM in aerospace, I really just think it's going to come from uh, people doing doing the work, you know, spreading the, the good news of, of additive around the world uh, to people so that they understand if they're in more antiquated or traditional manufacturing methods, the benefits that they could realize with additive. Uh, and then also early adoption, I think is going to be very important as well. Like teaching kids in uh, elementary school, high school, especially college, uh, all the option, great options and technologies that are available for uh, AM that are out there, I think will help them to carry that into new companies that they go to and, and foster additional growth in the AM sector. So, Looking specifically at the development of the space of the commercial space industry, which of course, as launcher, you're you're a big part of that. I mean, there's not that many companies that have achieved so much. There are a lot of companies that are trying, so it's really a vibrant industry. Where do you see that going? I mean, do you see? Do you believe that we will have uh, commercial space stations in a reasonable time, and you know that 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 uh, getting to orbit will be much more commonplace even for people? Absolutely. Um, I think the, the commercial space and 
Uh, and commercial space has really reignited American manufacturing. Um, it's been great to see uh, kind of a, a new industrial revolution boom across the country. And a lot of people are, are onshoring uh, jobs, facilities, factories, things like that back to America. So I think the, the commercial space industry has really helped to foster a, a, a new American manufacturing capability. Um, and this has all, and it's also ignited the, the imaginations of, of the country focused on space. So, um, there's, there's kind of a trope that's, uh, gets circulated sometimes of like, oh, there's too many players in the industry and it's getting very crowded and, you know, not, not all these people are going to survive and things like that. But by our, uh, you know, calculations and market analysis, um, there's not going to be enough providers. Like we need yeah. more rockets. We need more launch capability, um, you know. In the OTV space, uh, no one has really demonstrated like a significant OTV capability, uh, like a, a large inclination change or anything like that. So uh, we think this is still a very underserved market and it's going to continue to grow uh, exponentially. Uh, yeah. I think companies like SpaceX and, and others that are um, pursuing uh, interplanetary travel and, and, and space commerce um, and space stations and things like that um, are going to find a large customer base. And if they focus on vertical integration and keeping costs low and making it more accessible, then I think we will have a, a very vibrant uh, space economy um, where we're going out and exploring other worlds because it's it's just, you know, Elon says it a lot, but it's just such a, a much more exciting future of us yeah. being out among the stars and traveling. Um, and I, I'm not one who believes that that necessarily has to take away from anything here on Earth, right? We have the resources to solve problems here on Earth if we work together. Uh, and we have resources to, to continue uh, furthering human expansion and exploration and, and scratching that itch that we have to explore the universe. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's kind of how I view it, too. I mean, it's the only way we can. It's the only direction we can go. That's really what we should target. And I totally, you know, the, the argument that uh, we should dedicate resources to making the Earth better. It, the two are definitely not mutually exclusive. If anything, they're synergic. Um, there is plenty of resources to make the earth better and, and uh, uh, set out into space. Uh, you know, and, and like you said, you know, space exploration is really, it's, it's really what we do. It's, it's what, motivates, um, what motivates humanity. And it's definitely not an easy thing to do, but it's, uh, it's uh, extremely fascinating. Um, so let's, uh, um, let's get back and let's, uh, let's come down to earth a little bit. Uh, again, uh, can you, can you I see what you did there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, honestly, uh, I, I like to, I, I, um, you know, the space, the, the whole space topic really, really fascinates me, but what are some of the most valuable lessons that, um, in using AM that you learned, uh, uh you know, uh, at, during your experience at, uh, at SpaceX? Yeah, so uh, there's two primary things um, that I uh, learned and, and take with me and, and try to preach about. Um, first and foremost is that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be asking whether you can print something. You should be asking whether you should print it or not. Uh, there's a lot of places where uh, AM is not being leveraged effectively if you're printing large, um, you know, like not very complex structures and things like that. So you should always be very discerning of what you sign up to print, um, especially if there is a, a cheaper, faster method to make it, uh, because you really want to be using AM for what it's intended for, which is very densely complex uh, structures and components and things like that. So I think 
being a picky and discerning uh, person when you're trying to select a manufacturing method and, and whether you're going to print it or not is important, making sure that something makes sense uh, for printing. Uh, and then also a focus on uh, utilization, right? I've seen some places where, uh, you know, machine turnovers can take a day or two days or something to turn over and start another print. Like that absolutely can't happen. I mean, you, you should be measuring your turnovers uh, in matters of minutes, not hours or days, uh, because with the higher, but, you know, somewhat coming down capital cost of the printer, um, the onus is really on you to get as much utilization and, and get your money's worth out of the printer. So we should always treat a printer that's not running as, a, a, you know, a Delta or, or an American Airlines would treat an airplane on the ground. Yeah. It's not making money on the ground, right? It needs to get back into the air as safely as possible after it's completed all of its, you know, inspections and things like that. Um, so that it can keep making money. So I think yep. focusing on a, a, a key metric of about 85% productive utilization, so that's like laser on firing time, uh, making parts, production parts, um, I think is 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 super important to uh, running a, a high volume additive lab. Absolutely. Um, so uh, a, few, a few years ago, I think it was 2016, I did a market study on additive for space. And one of my... Uh, uh, premises was that, and, and this kind of brings goes back to what you were saying before, uh, you know, today, I think, you know, manufacturing, uh, earthly manufacturing is worth about 12 trillion. That's what, what 12 to 20 trillion or so. But, you know, and it, there, are, there are many different markets. There is aerospace, there is automotive, etc. But, and the space market is, is significantly smaller, of course, than these markets are. But potentially, I mean, that space is going to be the biggest market of all because, <laughs> I mean, even in terms of size, there's no comparison. Um, first, do you do you agree with that with that assessment? And are we going? You know, is AM and is the space industry developing as fast as it can, or can it go faster? And how? Yeah, I think you can. Uh, I think you can absolutely go faster. I think uh, the. As the capital cost of the printers comes down, the real focus or the onus is going to be on the um, uh, powder manufacturers to keep prices down uh, and uh, ultimately, you know, deliver, reduce the amount of margin that's on top of the powder that they're selling and ultimately make it a lot more accessible and cheaper to print hardware. So I think that um, with increased productivity and, and, and people getting more out of the printers, that's going to help to accelerate it additionally. Uh, the feedstock, uh, the price of the feedstock coming down, uh, and finally the development of, of post-processing technologies and automation that help to, uh, you know, reduce the amount of labor that's required and and try to make in the end like I, I think the goal for everyone is is kind of a lights out additive manufacturing reduction of of the costs that are required. I think are going to accelerate uh, the the adoption and 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 you know extent to which uh, companies are using AM. Uh, and then automation with, with some of the cool companies that you see out there that are focusing on automated machining or, or automated uh, additive manufacture or auto automated AM. Um, I think the, the kind of missing piece to that that I've seen so far uh, is that no one is working on an automated turnover robot. So um, I've seen people, I think Rivalin is doing some post-processing robots, um, seen some other companies that are doing, you know, trying to make lights out machining factories. Uh, but thus far, I haven't been exposed to any um, companies that are doing making robots that can be used to communicate with the printers and can be used for turnovers. Because I think the dream is that you have a, a, a lights out additive facility where the print is done, you know, uh, 
autonomous robot comes and collects the print, brings it to uh, like a Solucon machine for depowdering, uh, and then brings it over to uh, either an automated support removal robot or, or you know, out onto the production floor for people to do uh, the support removal, but trying to automate as much of the process as possible because that goes back to, um, you know, a plane on the ground is making money. So it's, it's very, unless you're running 24-7 shifts all the time, uh, it's going to be difficult for you to not have sometimes where a print finishes at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning and no one's around to turn it over and, you know, the next shift doesn't get in until 5 or 6 uh, a.m. And then that's, you know, four hours that you've lost already. So I think uh, increased automation is going to help adoption and then lower prices uh, are going to make it lower the barrier of entry to, to a.m. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I think we really went through a lot today. So uh, this is all the time we have, but a lot of great insights and uh we hopefully will catch up again soon, and you're always uh, welcome uh, welcome to join us uh, on the future episodes. Good luck with everything, and uh, speak again soon. Thank you.